Hey everyone, welcome to the Green Scene Podcast. I'm Jeremy Safran. TGSP is the top global cannabis podcast. Everyone has questions and we'll cover the stories that matter and showcase the guests who make a difference. This week on TGSP, unless you're living under a rock, you've likely heard that October 17th, 2018 is the day that Canadians can purchase legal recreational cannabis. So as you know, last night, the Cannabis Act completed its legislative journey and passed both chambers of parliament. We are very pleased to have reached this point in delivering on our progressive policy promise, commitment to legalize and strictly regulate cannabis. So what does that mean to the consumer? And are there any licensed producers out there actually growing high quality cannabis? Learned more and talked to more people and became more involved within the industry. I realized that the quality was not as good as I had hoped it would be. And so right. over the last like, couple of years, um, especially throughout 2017, I noticed a really steady decrease in both the THC and CBD percentages and, you know, kind of across the board for the LPs. If you're Canadian, it's safe to say that you have heard of Sunripe. You've either drank their juices, watched their famous commercials, or you've seen their product on countless store shelves. After all, back in 2007, the company was producing $106 million in revenue. Markeen says his grandfather started the company just to get rid of their fruit, but his father, Merv, took that company public. Um, so with respect to my father, um, uh, it was actually my, my grandparents uh, and that generation that started a juice company called uh, Sunripe. Uh, it was essentially just to do something with their cull uh, fruit. Uh, so rather than just throwing it away, they formed a, a, a juicery and, and um, uh, incorporated. Uh, it was a co-op. Um, so uh, they muddled through with that for quite a while, got a bit of a following, and then uh, somebody got the bright idea to take it public. Um, my father was uh, uh, elected onto the board of directors as a, as a director for the first term. Uh, second term, uh, he was elected uh, chairman of the board and remained uh, chairman of the board uh, throughout the uh, rest of Sunripe's uh, public life. Uh, Jimmy Patterson eventually did a takeover. Uh, it was a friendly takeover over a period of years. Uh, and uh, he finished up and resigned when the uh, board was dissolved. Um, so that, uh, that's, that's dad's story with Sunrite. Merv Geen now sits as the chairman on the board for a company called Speakeasy Cannabis, a cannabis producer located in the Golden Mile in British Columbia, Canada. The region is known for its ideal climate conditions and its rich soil. And Speakeasy has hopes of growing the world's highest quality cannabis there. And it's that family-run culture and their collective mentality that is unique. Even the 290 acres that Speakeasy owns was bought by the family 20 years ago. And Mark Gein can see it from his house. Uh, yeah, yeah, we bought the, the, it was actually a corporate farm to start with. Uh, the company Kettle Mountain Ginseng uh, uh, purchased the land in 95. We purchased the land from Kettle Mountain Ginseng, the Gein family. Um, we've sold the, the bottom lot, the 290 acres, uh, to Speakeasy, um, which my father and I are founders of, of that company. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's essentially in our backyard. Literally, I can see the, the, uh, the shops from, from my house. Uh, I've, I've got uh, seven kids and they were all raised right there. Um, we've, uh, it's literally a family farm and, and operating this. It's essentially just another type of farming right on the family farm. 
Perhaps one of the most unique differentiators that Speakeasy has is its Growers Collective. The company represents a collective of the top cannabis growers in Canada, and they're partnering with Speakeasy because they're like Mark. They're passionate about their shared commitment for the producing the best product. In fact, Mark has been operating in the legal medical cannabis space within Canada for the past 15 years. So they started the program, uh, it was called the MMAR program, uh, which was the uh, um, patient uh, program that was, it gives them the ability to uh, grow their own product and have access to cannabis. Um, so I, I had some friends that uh, were involved in that. Um, so being a farmer, I mean, it, it, uh, it piqued my interest on this being a plant and, and, and sort of learned how to grow it uh, through watching them and assisting them and learning more about the technology and um, uh, you know, the different, different uh, uh, pieces of equipment involved in, in growing and harvesting and, and the whole thing. So I assisted uh, with groups from uh, Kelowna through Nelson, um, befriending a whole bunch of really, really good people. There's, I mean, there were some shady characters in, in the industry at the time, but uh, there was a lot of good people, a lot of good family people that um, yeah, you make a network with and everybody just loves to sit down around a table and talk about you know, the things that they've learned, uh, things that they're doing now, the varieties and effects and, and uh, successes and the failures that they've had. So um, yeah, I've, I've, I've uh, started growing um, you know, essentially with them more than 15 years ago. Mark says growing technique and experience really determines whether the cannabis companies either succeed or fail. It's, it's a fairly common thing to hear people that have never grown it before uh, to, to say, oh, this, cannabis is an easy plant to grow. It's a weed. Uh, it's a very easy plant to grow. It's a very difficult plant to grow well. Uh, there are so many little um, tricks and techniques that don't just make a small difference. They make a colossal difference. They make the difference between failure and success. Um, if you tried to operate with a mediocre farm in a, in a mature market, you would go broke. Uh, there's no question about that. You have to be a premium grower. You have to be able to get the volume, the production, uh, and the quality. Um, or if you don't have all of those, you will fail because there are others out there that can do that and will be doing that. So uh, it's just like any other agricultural uh, crop. If, if you are not among the very best, you will go broke. Mark says speakeasy growers have decades of knowledge and experience spent perfecting their genetics and technique, and they're able to operate freely in the collective to do what they do best grow. Once you understand the culture, um, you, you sort of understand why the growers have so much passion. It's, it's far more than, than um, just a, a job that they go and do or a way to get money. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's a real connection to the plant and, and to the effects and, and uh, you know, working with patients and seeing the effects that it has on them and how it's improved their lives. It's impossible not to really get inspired by all of that. So stirring all of that into the, to the culture, um, you get these people that literally live and breathe it all day long for, for decades. And to have that experience and to have that um, uh, you know, level of, of knowledge just brought in, uh, it's, I don't know if you could teach that to somebody. It's something you really just have to bash away at and fail at for a long time. So to have that massive library of experience just plopped right into to a, a shop and build a shop around them and let them just do what they love, it would it would it would take five ten years for somebody to try and replicate that. So, given the group of people that we've been able to get to know uh, over the last uh, you know ten fifteen years, and and finding out the guys that are the the best, and 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 uh, uh, you know bringing them into the fold. I mean, it's just it's it's saved us a learning curve of literally five years at least. 
We spoke with Brian Peary, who was recently brought on as president at Speakeasy. He sees the potential of having the team they put together and the growers to being the key to their success. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I think Mark's uh, very modest when he says his, his past successes. If, if you look at what Sunripe really was when the family uh, sold it to Mr. Patterson, it, it was a multinational corporation and employing hundreds of people to, uh, in the area and, and really has distribution all over Canada and, and worldwide. And, you know, I think that that is something that it really drew me to it because it's a family-run business, but they have the experience of building a multinational corporation. And I think that, that this is a perfect opportunity to replicate that in the cannabis market. And despite some licensed producers that have been around for a long time, Brian says the industry come October will all be starting at the same level. Well, I think that it really comes down to brand authenticity, right? So we're, we're starting at a point where everybody is at square zero, right? And there is no, there, there's nothing other than your integrity, right? And when you're talking about this business, we've got the growers who have been in this business a long time, and it really takes years and years to build that reputation and only minutes to tear it down. So what we're going to wind up doing is hopefully employing the best of breed growers and really kind of giving them a Y Combinator approach, whereas if their strains, uh, their genetic strains continue to do well, we'll just continue to build out operations and continue to, to expand for them, right? What we're really looking at is giving our growers an opportunity to create an income stream off of these businesses where they know that you know, they give us a product and they give us a yield and we give them a, a fair rate of return and they don't have to worry about everything else. We, we take care of the Health Canada side, we take care of everything and they grow premium products for us and, and assist us in this, this operation and it's a mutually uh, beneficial relationship that we think that we can expand dramatically. Speakeasy isn't shy about wanting to be different. Their market isn't about producing the most or having the biggest square footage. They say that this will all change and what will become more important, like other mature markets have seen, is quality. Uh, I think the clearest example is if you look at any mature market, uh, either BC's black market um, or uh, Washington State, Colorado, uh, soon to be California, um, there is a huge price difference between the very best and everything else. Um, and it's, it's, it's all to do with quality and it's not a massive difference in quality, but it's, it's a discernible one where the, the, the highest quality product, but which are called quads, uh, will, I mean, for example, get about $2,000 a pound. Uh, and then there's a massive drop down to $1,200 a pound for everything else. And about 80% of, of all of the product grown is everything else. So there's a very small portion, which is very high quality. And then there's the bulk of everything else. And what buyers do is they'll just come around and pick off the suckers. And if they don't, if they don't drop, they know there's a whole bunch more of this medium quality stuff everywhere. So it just, it's a race for the basement to get rid of the product. But the highest quality stuff maintains that price and holds it in mature markets, in, in new markets, all of them. It's, it's the highest quality product holds that value. Brian says the economics of premium cannabis can add value to the company too. Right, so I, I think when you really look at it, it, and it really market on it, when you structure the top line, if you're getting 2,000 a pound versus 1,200 a pound, um, you really want to make sure that you're getting that premium product, right? Because you want to make sure that you've got uh, a, a pricing moat. And if, you, if you're basically producing garbage, it, you're, it's a race to the bottom in terms of cost of production, right? And that's not where we want to play. We want to play in the premium product space. So we think we can not only add premium growers, but we actually think that their yields that are getting are, are far superior. So we're not really trying to be the all market for everybody, but if you're looking for a premium, a, a premium product, then we're your, we're your base. 
All right, we check back in now with Mike Apple over at 680 News for the latest in business and something that could be groundbreaking, literally, when it comes to growing <laughs> cannabis plants. Yeah, indeed. Uh, good morning, Tammy. We're reading in the Global Mail this morning how the federal government is set to open the door to outdoor uh, pot production, cannabis being grown in fields instead of in greenhouses, which is currently the way the uh, pot companies have been setting up their operations. Canada's recent release of regulations make outdoor growing possible. And this is a good thing for a producer like Speakeasy. They just announced they're developing 2.6 million square feet of outdoor growing space, which has much lower costs associated with this type of growing. And they plan on using a lot of the bulk product for extraction. We've always maintained that, <clears throat> that uh, Indoor quality, uh, indoor grown product is the highest quality. Uh, it's it's not an argument. It's a it's a it's a fact. I mean, there's there's uh, there's greenhouse growers out there that that can say we can grow indoor quality. Um, by by and large, no. I mean, it's it's not possible. There might be some varieties uh, that that grow well in a greenhouse, um, but there are all of the varieties that grow well indoors. Um, so when you compare the three levels, which is outdoor, greenhouse, and indoor production. Um, there is just no, there's just no replacing indoor. Uh, you, you can get bulk quantities at a lower price growing in a greenhouse as compared to indoor, but you can get, uh, you know, 15 times cheaper um, than a greenhouse growing outdoor. So what we've always maintained is, is everything that we're going to be growing for milligrams. So uh, uh, growing for your, your extract material that will be produced, produced outdoors. Everything else for direct flower sales will be grown indoors. Um, so that's been our philosophy from the very beginning. And uh, thankfully, Health Canada has actually just allowed us to begin outdoor production uh, starting uh, October 14th. So that's exactly what Speakeasy is going to be doing. Um, indoor production focused on, on highest quality flour produced by BC's best growers. And then um, large volume, low cost production uh, for edibles and extracts um, uh, produced outdoors. Brian Peary says that the economics of their outdoor grow makes sense for the company and that they can easily expand on it, but perhaps more uniquely, that outdoor space could really self-fund their growth. So what we're really trying to do is we know that it's really about two things. It's either about time to market right, and having a, a first, first uh, mover advantage, or it's about a premium product. Okay, and we think we have the opportunity to do both, right? We've got our indoor growth space that we think we're going to have premier uh, cannabis within BC and, and really nationally, right? But we also have the opportunity to grow outdoors uh, with this new cultivation uh, allowance from Health Canada. And we sit right now in 290 acres of what I would call the, the premium grow facilities. If you think back to, you know, Napa is to wine, well, our region where we are is is that for, for cannabis, right? And if I were gonna pick anywhere in the world right now that I would wanna grow, that's where it would be. And I think that we're positioned right now so that we've got an expandable opportunity, not only just 290 acres, but I think that if we needed more, we could actually acquire that. And so what that gives us the ability to do is really function everything in one particular space. So we're not looking at, at hub and spoke where we've got multiple grows in different locations and having to field all these teams. Everybody that we have is centrally focused on one directive and we can focus on building the business and providing the best cannabis that we possibly can without having to worry about everything going on in all these different satellites. 
if we can do it and we can get the time to move uh, time to market advantage and we can get even a reasonable rate of return, which I, I think we're going to get higher than that um, based on the cost that I'm seeing in our, in our at, at our expected outputs. But if we can do that, I mean, it's really not hard to see a self-funding business model. I think that the cash flows that generate off of this are, are and the ROI is enormous. It's like nothing I've ever seen. And so that's why I'm so excited about this business is it's, you know, we're, we're starting at the, at the very beginning of it and we have the ability to shape it. And that's so exciting. Since the government of Canada announced that cannabis will be legal there by October 17, 2018, their license approvals have slowed a bit. If you follow the industry, insiders on Twitter, for instance, call the day of licenses being issued ACMPR Friday, named by the day of the week when the licenses get released by Health Canada. Speakeasy has went through three rounds of questions and are waiting for approval at any given moment. Essentially, the process goes through, you send in your application, they do a background check. Uh, if they approve your application, they say, okay, go ahead and build the building. Once you've built the building, they say, okay, now send us an evidence package. You take thousands of pictures, you take a video, um, you, spend, you send correspondence back and forth documenting every single little piece of security equipment, every bar on every window, every door, the lock mechanisms, the latches, uh, the floors, the epoxy, the, the walls, every tiny little detail so they don't have to come out and physically inspect the site. You send it off. They review all of that and then they send you some questions so like, hey, what's this crack in the floor I see or what's, what's this camera, where's it pointing and stuff. They send you a barrage of questions. Um, we went through three rounds of questions, 25 the first time, 15 the second, five the third. Uh, responded to all the questions and, and that was all the questions for the evidence package. So we're essentially just uh, circling the airport um, until they get around to it. There's been, there's been a real slowdown in the numbers of LPs that have been announced. I think it's something like five in the last uh, four and a half to five months. Uh, and given the new Cannabis Act and all the bureaucracy involved in folding in the um, uh, ACMPR, MMPR, uh, or the uh, Narcotics Dealers License and, and the Industrial Hemp Program all into one bureaucracy, um, I, can, I can certainly understand that they've been busy. Um, they've uh, pledged to continue processing these uh, as quickly as they possibly can. And uh, we, are, um, we are without doubt uh, very close to getting our license. Everything is done. They're, they haven't asked any more questions. So um, we are just, uh, we are awaiting it and it should, be, it should be here very soon. For the time that they've been waiting on licensing approval, Mark says it's given them enough time to plan for phase two and their future as a company. So the entire time we've been doing our build up for phase two. Um, so we, uh, as soon as we finished the renovations uh, on, on phase one, we started an 80,000 square foot uh, um, phase two production. So um, the buildings, um, um, uh, we've got building one on site. Um, we actually start standing it up in a week and a half from now. Uh, foundation um, is, uh, uh, is completed uh, for buildings one and two. We're working on, on building three. We've completed the office complex. Um, we've been we've been expanding as quickly as we can. Uh, next steps will be uh, we're we're just going through the review process and trying to understand all the regulations involved in an outdoor production. And what we plan on doing is is being ready with the process facility um, and outdoor production facility uh, built uh, so we can start planting in spring 2019. Now I travel to California often, and in that mature market, there is a new consumer who really knows what they want, and they do want the best, like taking a good bottle of wine to a dinner party. You have 20 years of innovation, 20 years of pent-up demand, and now you have these new, beautiful luxury products that have come to the market, and they're servicing a specific demographic who wants it. 
Speakeasy's marketing director knows the industry well, and he says that outside of the medical market, there are no real recreational brands that exist in Canada yet, like you see in mature markets, such as we mentioned in California. Yeah, I think today, uh, you know, we're yet to see a recreational brand. I think today we've seen, you know, public market brands in the cannabis space, you know, dominate our news, um, you know, national news and so forth. And I think you see some brands that have, you know, done fairly well in the medical space. But realistically, you know, we're all, it's all at a starting gate. It all starts now. And I think that there's two massive core values with any, with any brand. And I think that's authenticity. Um, I think that can't be faked in this day and era, especially with how digital everybody is. Um, and I think each one of the growers have a great story to be told. And I think that creates so much authenticity in the future of Speakeasy. And also the product is paramount. People always talk about, you know, brands and the quality of cannabis. These growers are really bringing a premium product to, uh, to the market. And I think if you look south of the border, you know, you look at the guys like Shabinsky or Jungle Boys or these kind of brands that, you know, maybe are more recognized um, for a user-facing brand. These brands have been built off high-quality flowers um, and have more recognition now, I think, globally user-facing than any brand really does in Canada. And I think those, um, those things are what we're going to take to market. Speakeasy isn't trying to be the biggest. They say they're just trying to be the best and that their cannabis will never become a commodity. I think that there's a narrative right now in Canada that cannabis is a commodity. And uh, I think even if you look in California, that's obviously not, not, uh, not the truth. And I think when you look at people like Jungle Boys and Chabinsky going back to them, um, those brands are completely built off of premium product. Cannabis Cup is massive. Uh, it has a huge following. You know, sometimes I think the cannabis consumer is maybe more educated and more discerning in a lot of ways than wine. And I think there's a lot of parallels that can be pulled from that as well. And so we're going to see, you know, I think we're going to see the market evolve quickly. Uh, but I think we can't, you know, we can't trick our consumer. Our consumer is extremely well educated. Uh, they've been in the market for the last 20, 30 years. Um, you're not going to, you're not going to get nothing by them. So what about those white bags with stop sign THC labels on them and the marketing restrictions placed on cannabis to be able to create a brand within the new regulations? It too will evolve, Mark says, but it's also his team that can get more creative and he's grateful for the relationships with distributors that he's already formed so that they can educate on their product as well. In, in some ways, the, the, the packaging and the marketing and the, the restrictions that we have uh, are a bad thing. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's going to change, but right now it's a, it's a real restriction. Uh, in another way, it's very good. Um, uh, one of our marketing geniuses uh, um, gave me a line that, that I, I believe to this day. He said that uh, um, they enjoy working out inside a box. It makes them more creative. Um, so uh, not only do I believe we have some of the, the, the most clever guys in the industry that have a really unique view and a, and a strong understanding of the industry, I think that given the playing field is now level and it's not just who has the most money wins uh, i think we can do some really creative things and, and uh, um, make a real splash uh, adding to that um, we've been in this industry and we've been in this market uh, especially in bc for for quite some time so we have a, a intimate relationship with a lot of the dispensary owners and they will be the same crew that will be involved in in the legal um, uh, regime so 
having that relationship uh, and being able to actually go in and talk to these people, talk to the bud tenders. Uh, one of the people on our crew has actually been teaching um, uh, bud tenders how to respond to questions and, and, and what to say and what not to say. So he's already had contact with, uh, I would say, the majority of the bud tenders in Vancouver. Um, so having that, that very close relationship and you can talk about your products. You can you can um, get the bud tenders to recommend the best, and you can prove to the bud tenders that ours is the best. So, sort of folksy, sort of grassroots, but I mean that's essentially who we are. Is we're full on grassroots. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Green Scene Podcast. I'm Jeremy Saffron, and here's some fun news. We just relaunched our new website, and I think you'll really, really like it. Things are more clear, and we broke it down by section. From the lifestyle section, where we'll talk about vaporizers and different products, to the medicinal, where we'll have more research, and we'll have a great coverage of business and investment inside of the industry. We'll talk to analysts, and thanks to our friends in the industry, we'll be able to talk to some insiders as well. Go to greenscenepodcast.com, that's www.thegreenscenepodcast.com, and take a visit. As always, I want to be close with our listeners. After all, we're all in this together. If you have a comment or you just want to get in touch with me, my direct email is J-E-R-E-M-Y, that's Jeremy, at saffron, S-Z-A-F-R-O-N.com. We'll see you next week.